All right. Good morning again. Good to see everybody. Glad you're able to be with us this morning. This morning, we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture that, that I very much enjoy. It's from Isaiah chapter 9. And in this portion of Scripture, we're reminded of the fact that Christ has replaced our gloom with joy. So if you would take your Bibles and turn there with me, Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at the first seven verses of this passage of Scripture. And this is what it says in, uh, in Isaiah 9, starting with verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that it is to be able to look at your word together today. And Lord, we pray that as we look at your word now that you would help us to understand what we're reading. We pray that we would understand what we're, what we're even talking about today and that we would see the significance of what you've revealed to us in your word. Lord, we pray that you'd prepare our hearts and our minds to receive these truths, and that ultimately we would look to you as the source of our joy, that we wouldn't be consumed with gloom, but that we would look to you for joy. And we're grateful for this reminder from your word of all that you accomplish on our behalf, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the other day I had a strange thought. I actually had this thought as I was driving from my office here at the church back home. I was right here on 413, and something came on the radio that just kind of triggered my thinking a little bit, and sometimes I get nostalgic. And so I was getting nostalgic, and I was thinking about just a variety of things, and I thought to myself, and, and forgive me, by the way, if this sounds like a negative way to start off a sermon, okay? So forgive me. Show me some grace. It ends well, all right? I'll tell you the ending of today's message. It ends well but it starts gloomy. Uh, I thought to myself, I am glad that I have been able to experience more than one season in history because I'm not a big fan of the one we're currently in. Can I admit that? <laughs> I don't know if I can admit that. I know that that might sound a little negative, but I, I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, not, not a big fan of this one. This, you know, I've, I've lived through several, not a big fan. Nope. Um, won't be liking the, the Facebook page of this era in history. Uh, won't be following it on Instagram, right? It seems like all I'm hearing is bad news on top of bad news, and I'm kind of tired of hearing bad news on top of bad news. And somewhere along the line, I noticed 
just in my day-to-day life, that I tend to be the recipient of a lot of bad news. I think to myself, I'm like, you know what, I, that's kind of interesting to think about that. But typically, when you think about different difficult things that are taking place in my personal family or in our church family, usually the one disseminating that information is usually the pastor. And I was thinking over the course of this week, I thought, wow, you know, several people that I'm close to lost family over the course of this past week. That's very heavy news. And then a friend of mine, his father right now is in the hospital clinging for life. It's very heavy news. And it can make you feel a little bit gloomy if you're a feeling person. And I happen to be a feeling person. I can't just turn off my my feelings when people that I care about are going through difficult seasons. It makes my heart go out to them. It makes me feel like a taste of what they're going through. And I I think probably any feeling person feels that way. When someone you care about is going through something that's challenging, you can start to feel gloomy with them in a sense. Now, I'll tell you something that doesn't make me feel gloomy. As as, As a pretty stark and not really easily correlated contrast, Um, But something that doesn't make me feel gloomy is In-N-Out Burger. Have you ever eaten an In-N-Out Burger? All right, so we don't have them here in Pennsylvania. Uh, But last week, many of you know that I was speaking for a uh, a church that we have helped in Houston. They've been asking me for several years to come down, and finally this year it worked out that I was able to come down and speak. And uh, it's a Spanish-speaking church, so all week, or all weekend, I, I spoke six different times. I don't speak Spanish. I know some of you do. I don't speak Spanish, so I had an interpreter uh, all six times as I spoke last weekend, and that was interesting, and, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, three of my kids came down with me, so we had a really good time. And one of our goals while we were in Houston was to eat at restaurants that we don't have here in Pennsylvania, and one of those restaurants that we wanted to try was In-N-Out Burger. And so one of the people that we were with said, all right, I'd like to uh, show you, you know, what you don't know where it is here locally. And we said, do you have, could, could you take us to the closest In-N-Out? And so last Monday, we went to In-N-Out Burger, and I want to show you something. On, all right, so first of all, this is not stock footage. This is our actual meal. All right, there were five of us at the table. I did not eat all of those burgers. There were five. This one was mine, and I feel like it's part of my family now. Every time I look at that picture, I know that part of that burger has made me the man that I am. It got me through another week, so that burger's part of me now. But that one was mine, and uh, notice this. I don't know how well you could see this, but this was my cup while I was waiting for the food. I know that they put Bible verses on the bottom of their cups and on the bottom of their fries. And so I I was excited to see what Bible verse I got. Isaiah 9, verse 6, if you could see it on the bottom of my cup. I was like, oh, good timing. I'm preaching on that this coming Sunday. (laughs) Isaiah 9, verse 6, on the bottom of my cup at In-N-Out Burger. And what is Isaiah 9, verse 6, which we just read a moment ago, what does it remind us? It's a reminder to us that Christ will come to this earth and interrupt our gloom. You were wondering when I set up In-N-Out Burger, you're like, how does this tie in? It always ties in. It always works, right? That Christ would come, it says in Isaiah 9, 6, that he would come and he would interrupt the gloom that we easily feel that he would replace that gloom with his joy. Now, there is no shortage of bad news in this world. You and I hear it all the time. 
But I hope that through Christ we can see beyond a moment of time, right? My mind and your mind do not need to be locked in a moment in time as if, as if this or a gloomy moment is the only thing we will ever experience. We don't have to be locked in a gloomy perspective because we have Christ. By the grace of God, we are made able to see what is ahead. And in fact, many scriptures that we have, I believe the Lord gave them to us intentionally so that our minds would not get locked in the present, so that we would be able to see the grand narrative that's taking place and how we're allowed to have a part in that. And so the counsel of God's word tells us that there is genuine hope for all who trust in Christ. He indeed is the one who takes our gloom away. And I love what this portion of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 9 tells us, because there's some very useful and, and encouraging and practical things that we see in this passage. And one of the things that we see here is that Jesus brings light into the darkness. Now, let me reread the first three verses. There it says this. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And what Isaiah here is prophesying is the, the light that Jesus would bring into the darkness that this world frequently endures. Now, do you ever fear, and I've asked this question before, but do you ever sit around and fear that another country might at some point invade our country or topple our government or take our land or put us to death? Um, that's not something that I sit around and, and genuinely fear. Sometimes I think, you know, I, I, I look at uh, our land placement, I think, well, I'm really glad there's an ocean over here and there's an ocean over here, that's pretty, and Canada seems pretty benign, Mexico seems pretty friendly, it seems pretty good, right? It seems pretty good. You know, I think we're okay, we think, right? Now, this is, it's possible that that's something that you may have thought of, you know, you may have pondered that from time to time, but again, I suspect that that is not something that we sit around worrying about or thinking about, but the people of Israel used to worry about that regularly. That was something they would think about all the time. In fact, because historically, when you look back into their history, into the Old Testament era, because they had embraced the worship of idols, and because they had rejected the true and living God, the Lord told them it would definitely happen to them. He told them, your land definitely will be invaded. Outside people, an outside country is going to come and do things to you that are going to be very unpleasant, and many of you will not survive it. And when you look at what this says here, it says, you know, it, this passage speaks of the land of Zebulun, and it speaks of the land of Naphtali, two areas in the northern kingdom of Israel that would experience great gloom and great pain. That's what Isaiah is talking about here. Now, in time, that area was actually invaded by the Assyrian army. The Assyrian army took over that area. It was swarmed with their troops. They trampled the people. They ravaged the land. They brought death, destruction, and judgment upon the inhabitants of the land. And I can only imagine what it must have been like to live through that experience. I imagine that it was one of those things that even if you lived through it, I imagine there were probably plenty of people that thought, you know what, I don't even want to live through it. It's so bad. To see your homeland conquered by an invading army and to see life as you knew it completely uprooted 
That must have been devastating. And it's understandable that there would be a lot of gloom associated with that event. But thankfully, the story didn't end there. So in contrast to the beating that the people and the land took at the hands of of an invading army and the darkness and the gloom that came upon them as a result, the Lord reveals here through the prophet Isaiah that a time would come when that region would experience glory. That's what's being spoken of here, that that region would experience glory. This portion of Scripture begins to speak, when you look here at verses 1 through 3, what it's doing here, and, and as you kind of walk through it up to verse 7, where, we, where we're finishing up in a little while, but this portion begins to speak in a combined way of the first and the second comings of Jesus. He is the one who would bring, his, bring the light of His gospel into this spiritually and socially darkened place. Now, Isaiah, he lived about 700 years prior to the incarnation of Christ. So, looking 700 years forward into the future, he spoke of a time when people walking in darkness would see a great light. Those who were consumed with doom would experience great joy. Jesus, the Lord of all creation, would come to them and would multiply their joy exponentially. And the Apostle Matthew, he recorded the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Matthew chapter 4. Let me bring it up here for us. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, it says this, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, and it's speaking of Jesus here, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light. And For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. And then it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Matthew records the fulfillment of that prophecy taking place in Jesus Christ. And this is what the light of Christ still accomplishes in the life of anyone who trusts in Him. His light has the power to chase darkness away. He invites us to repent or to turn from walking in darkness and to begin walking in His light. His light enables each of us to see ourselves ultimately from His perspective. His light helps us to see beyond our present moment in time toward the glorious future that He has in store for all those who trust in Him. His light helps us to discern truth from error. That's something I'm extremely grateful for. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life, we are are made able to discern truth from error because of the light of Christ. His light helps us to respond to one another with love and forgiveness because Christ has shown us how that's ultimately to be done. We no longer need to walk in darkness because light has come. And so you have Isaiah prophesying that. You have Matthew saying this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you and I have the opportunity, you and I have the privilege to live as beneficiaries of these truths. You and I have the privilege to to recognize that Jesus has brought light into our lives. 
We were walking in darkness, and Jesus illuminated our minds and illuminated our lives and ultimately brought His light into our lives so that we could walk with Him and so we could follow Him and so that ultimately we could reflect Him in every context that He's placed us in. So Isaiah was telling us about this ahead of time to encourage our hearts in the midst of gloomy seasons, and you have Matthew saying, it was done, it was accomplished in Christ, and you and I have the privilege to live as hopeful people. The Scripture goes on to also tell us, when you look at verses 4 and 5 of Isaiah 9, that Jesus brings rest where there was burden. Look what it says in those verses. It says, For the yoke of His burden, and the staff for His shoulder, the rod of His oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. So uh, last week, as I, I mentioned, I, I had the privilege to speak in Houston, and uh, three of my kids came with me, and our flight leaving Houston was later in the day on Monday. So we had open time during the day on Monday, and we were trying to figure out how do we want to use that time. Now, when we got there on Friday, we got there a little bit early so that we could tour Houston, and so we decided to rent Segways. Do you know what Segways are? Those two-wheel things that you stand on, and you, you see you know, uh, mall security going through the mall riding those. So we rented four Segways, and we zipped through Houston on Segways. That was a blast. If you ever get the chance to tour a city on a Segway, do that. We did that for two hours. Uh, I am the only one that, that wrecked his Segway. I can testify that my children did not wreck theirs. Um, I didn't wreck it too bad, but I did fall off at one point. So you can fall off those things. Um, but that was fun. But then on Monday, we had a little extra time. We're like, all right, well, what do we want to do? Well, one of the cool things that they have right there in Houston is the NASA Space Center. And this is kind of funny because there's an area that's, that's meant for tourists and an area that's operating that you very much need government security to get inside. And uh, I didn't know, I didn't realize which was with and which was which. And so I went in the, you need government security side and was very politely encouraged, no, you have to go to the different one. So I was like, mental note. But I've been behind the line for a brief second and then turned the car around. And, um, and so we went to the NASA Space Center and I got to see, I'm going to show you a picture I took. They let us take pictures of this as long as we agreed not to use a flash. Does anyone recognize this picture? I took that on my phone. Do you know what that is? You know what that is, right? That's the control room where Apollo 11 and other missions were, were, uh, were overseen from. Apollo 11 is the first, uh, you know, uh, first time we landed on the moon. You know, first time men walked on the moon. And they actually have, so the spot where I took this picture from, and I didn't know this, there is an area that basically looks like movie theater seating, just a little bit more comfortable, and several rows of it where they allowed the astronauts' families to observe from behind glass. So you could just be back there, and they let them in and out of there however they wanted when that was taking place, but it was separated from the control operations and all of that, so there wouldn't be any, any interruption that way, but they could observe everything from that viewing room. Now they allow visitors to come and stop in that viewing room, and at the end of the tour, you're allowed to take a picture of 
operations. And they've restored it basically with as many original pieces as they could, because I believe they used this for uh, right up until the early 90s. But then they restored it to the condition that it was in in 1969 with as many original papers and pieces of furniture and all sorts of things so that it looks exactly and has as many exact replica or, or the exact items that were used in 1969. So it was really cool to see. But here's another thing that most people don't realize when they hear about this room. It's not ground level. In fact, you have to go up quite a few stories to get to this. In fact, you have to go up, and they tell you this ahead of time, 87 steps. You have to go up 87 steep steps to get to that room to be able to observe it. So they warn you when you're at the base of it, before they take you up to it. Now, the tram takes you to that spot before they warn you. They didn't warn you before we got on the tram. But when you get to the spot, they warn you, you're going to have to walk up 87 steps to get to that. So be prepared. Can you do it? And so I counted the steps on the way up. I, I was like, is it really 87? It's exactly 87 steps. Well, there was, you know, it was a decent group of us. There's probably about 50 or 60 of us that went up at a time to see it. And there was one guy in our group who was not physically prepared for those 87 steps. And I noticed that each time it bended, he had to stop. And he had to pause, and his family would just hang out there with him for a little bit so that he could catch his breath, so he could get his bearings, and then he kept going. And then he'd make another flight of steps, and then he'd stop again. And then he'd make another flight of steps, and he'd stop again. And I thought, this guy is going to be exhausted. And by the way, we have to come back down these things too, and that's still exercise. Gravity helps us, right? But it's still exercise, and, I th and by the time he got to that, he was wiped out. He was wiped out by the time he got up those 87 steps. He was sweaty, he was exhausted, he was tired. I'm not certain that he enjoyed the experience as much as he thought he was going to enjoy the experience. And here's the thing, sometimes in life we experience things that are very physically burdensome. Other times we wrestle with emotional burdens. What do we crave during those seasons? When you're going through a season that's burdensome, whether it be physically burdensome or emotionally burdensome, I think for most of us, what do we, we, we crave one thing. We crave rest, right? We, we need a break. I want a break from this. I want rest, you know, some version of that. We want a break from what weighs us down. I don't know if you've got something weighing you down right now, but I, I'll tell you what, I, I, it would not surprise me if you said one of the things you've been praying about was that this season of burden might come to a resting spot soon, that you would get rest, that you would experience that peace. We want someone to come alongside us and lift our burden from us. Well, thankfully, that's exactly the kind of rest that we find in Jesus Christ. And the images that are described here in this portion of Scripture from Isaiah 9, verses 4 and 5, they cause us to picture a group of people that were weighed down with heavy yokes on their backs. And it gives us here an image of being taken captive, or an image of being somebody who had to live like a slave for a season. And so we're shown a glimpse of people being treated like animals as their backs are being described as, as, as uh, being subject to the striking of their oppressor's rod. And this happened to the people of Israel in the literal sense when they were taken as captives by the nation of Assyria. That literally happened to them. But it also serves as a picture of the reality of what it looks like to be overcome with the burden of sin. It's like living in slavery. In fact, that's exactly how Scripture describes it. It describes it as a form of slavery, a form of spiritual oppression. 
But what has Jesus, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, what has he done with the oppressor's rod? Scripture tells us here that he has broken it. And what does he do with the boots and with the garments of the armies that amass against God's people? Well, those objects, we're told here, are used as fuel for warmth instead of tools to aid in destruction. Jesus secures the ultimate victory over the oppressing forces of evil. And he shares that victory with us so that in him we can find the rest that we need. And one of the things that I think is kind of interesting, I think, I think most of us probably look at God and would say that God values work. Would you say that God values work? Of course he does, right? God values work. God values effort. God inspires us to do things. But how often do we think about the fact that God also values rest? And it's kind of interesting because when you look at what Scripture tells us, it tells us very clearly that that's something that God wants us to experience. It's something He wanted the people of Israel to experience. It's something that He wants you and I to experience as well. And not just surface-level physical rest, even though that can be enjoyable and healthy, but ultimate rest for our soul. Ultimate rest in the sense that we find peace and satisfaction and joy through Jesus Christ. And this is spoken of all throughout the Scriptures. Let me show you a couple quick examples here. First of all, in Exodus 33, verse 14, it says, And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Right? This is what the Lord was promising for the people of Israel. He says, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And what did people do? What did that generation of people do? They rejected the rest that God had offered them. They rejected it, and he said, fine, you, your generation, will never enter my rest. Your children will experience that. Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2, uh, the, the psalmist says this, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. So I am at rest in God alone. That applied not just to the psalmist, but to you and to me. Our souls will never find rest if we try to find them from any other source but God alone. And then Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, he says, come to me. And by the way, this is one of the most quoted portions of the New Testament for good reason. It just demonstrates how much we need the rest that he offers. But it says, Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what does Jesus want us to experience? Rest for our souls. Where do we find that rest? We find that rest ultimately in Him. So my question for us is, is your soul experiencing daily rest in Christ? Or are you still convinced you have no other choice but to carry your burdens alone? Because Scripture is filled with examples of people who chose to carry their burdens alone, and they did not enjoy the rest that God was offering to them. And you and I could go through our lives trying to carry our burdens alone. That's certainly an option that we're presented with, but it's not the good option. The right option is that we find rest in Christ and that we live in the rest that He offers us, that we give Him our burdens, the things that are weighing our hearts down, that we entrust those things over to Him, and then we walk in the peace of Christ. 
Isaiah prophesied that Christ was offering that. Jesus came and very explicitly said that he was offering rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. And if your soul needs rest, it will find it in Christ. And there's one other thing that Isaiah points out in in, uh, Isaiah chapter 9 that I want to highlight. And that's this, that Jesus reigns with justice and righteousness. Now think about this for a second here. This is the portion of Scripture that was quoted on that cup that I, that I received just a few days ago at In-N-Out Burger. This is actually a portion of Scripture that is one of my favorite things to see quoted throughout the Christmas season. But it says this in Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. It says, For to us a child is born. And again, by the way, this is 700 years, this prophecy being given. 700 years prior to Christ coming to the earth and fulfilling it. But it says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, again, during the Christmas season, this is one of my favorite scriptures to see referenced on cards or in other ways. And when you look at what Isaiah tells us here, he gives us very specific details regarding the birth of Christ and then regarding the ministry of Christ and then the nature of Christ. So you see the birth, the ministry, and the nature of Christ all referenced in the things that Isaiah is speaking about in this passage. He tells us that a child would be born among the people of Israel, that he would be a son who was given as a gift of grace. He tells us here that in time, the government would be upon his shoulder. And it's interesting because we live in that period of time right now where the kingdom of God is expanding, but how is his kingdom expanding? Heart to heart, person to person. People group to people group throughout all the nations. You know, many of the people I spent uh, time with last week, they did not grow up here in the United States. Most of the people I hung out with last week, are uh, they grew up in Guatemala. They've only recently moved here to the United States. And some grew up in El Salvador. And some grew up in other places. And yet, regardless of where we grew up or where our original nationality was from, you could see that we were worshiping the same king. See, we're worshiping the same God. Why? Because the kingdom of God has been spreading heart to heart, person to person, as we've come to recognize Christ as our Savior, regardless of national borders. And here, we're told that in time, the the government... So, when you look at what Scripture tells us, we're we're given a picture of Christ physically reigning upon this earth as the ultimate fulfillment of these things, that the government will be upon His shoulder, that He would be one who would rule with peace and benevolence, which would stand in stark contrast to the foreign nations that that invaded and oppressed Israel at different times in their history. It's a beautiful thing to be able to witness and, and think about. And the people of Israel were looking forward to the day when they would one day have a king like King David. So something very much on their mind. God had promised David that the day would come when one of his own descendants would rule from his throne forever. So you have Isaiah speaking about these things here. And this is not the only spot in Scripture that this is referenced, but ultimately Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. The eternal Son of God took on flesh and was born to Mary, a descendant of David. 
And when Christ returns, Scripture tells us that all nations will bow before him as king, and he will rule and he will reign from Jerusalem, and his reign will never end. And he will establish peace, he will uphold justice, and he will promote righteousness on this very earth. So this is the type of thing that people during Isaiah's time were looking forward to, but it's also the type of thing that the Lord has given us a glimpse of that we get to look forward to as well, because there are aspects of this that have yet to be fulfilled. And here, when you look at the Scriptures, it's describing Jesus, the one who would fulfill these things. The Scripture speaks of Christ's humanity and His divinity. So in addition to, be, to being born as a child here, we're also told that He would be called Wonderful Counselor. And the idea here is that he would be an advocate or one who pleads our case and who inspires awe among us. He's also called Mighty God. Jesus is God incarnate. The name Jesus, the name Yeshua, what does it mean? God is salvation. He's likewise referred to here as Everlasting Father. This is a way of telling us that he is, he is the source or he is the father of everlasting life. And Christ is also described here as the Prince of Peace. And what that's revealing to you and to me is that through Him, our souls find peace that we can't find anywhere else. And at times in my life, I have tried to find that peace someplace else, and nothing worked but Jesus. And I'm sure that many of us can testify to the very same thing. And just as Jesus promised to literally and visibly reign on this earth at some future point, I want us to keep something in mind as we finish up this morning. He desires to reign with justice and righteousness in our lives right now at this very moment. That's not just supposed to be some distant reality. This is also to be a today thing, right? Jesus, well, let me say it this way. Someone's calling the shots in your life. Somebody's calling the shots in your life. Someone sits on the throne of your heart. Someone occupies that space. For most people, it's themselves. For most people, they call the shots in their, their life, at least they think they do. For most people, they think they sit on the throne of their hearts. But what the Scripture is telling us is that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So wouldn't you rather the one sitting on the throne of your heart, wouldn't you rather the one calling the shots in your life be Jesus, the Prince of Peace, than yourself or anyone else? Because lasting peace can only be found through Him. So lastly, let me say this. As we look at Isaiah's Scripture and as we think about some of the things that the Scripture has revealed to us through it, Jesus has taken our gloom away, and He's replaced it with the joy of His presence. And that's something that you and I can rejoice over today and every day that the Lord has blessed us to live. And I'm grateful for a portion of Scripture like this that reminds us of that truth, and it's a truth that is not a seasonal truth. It's something that you and I are to experience joy through and related to all throughout the course of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your blessings and for the fact that when we look at a portion of Scripture like this, we experience immense joy and just gratefulness for who you are and for what you do. Lord, we know that, that in and of ourselves, it can be very easy for us to attempt to call the shots in our lives. It can be very easy for us to attempt to sit on the throne of our own hearts. And Lord, we know that that's not your desire for us. 
your desire is that we experience the peace that you offer. And so, Lord, we pray that, that we would submit ourselves over to you. Lord, we know that when we look at the history of, of ancient Israel, we can see a variety of times where you bless them in, in miraculous and amazing ways, and yet they chose to go their own way. We see that first generation that left Egypt. Uh, we see them rejecting the rest that you had offered them because they chose not to believe that, that you had given them the promised land, that they could take that land, that that was something that you would give them the power to subdue and to, to live in and to enjoy. And as a result, they did not enter your rest. And Lord, that is so similar to how we have lived large chunks of our own lives, where we have gone about things in such a way where we think that everything comes down to the work of our own hands or our own creativity or our ability to um, fashion things in such a way that, that we think we can get the best result because we think that, that maybe somehow we know better than you. And Lord, when we look at what your word reveals to us, your word tells us that you are the wonderful counselor, and so often we rely on our own counsel. So Lord, we repent of that before you today, and we pray that you'd help us to trust in you and experience the rest and experience the peace that you supply as we welcome your reign in our lives. Lord, we look forward to the day when, in a, in a very visible way, you will rule and reign upon this earth. But we know that right now, in preparation for that time, you're ruling and reigning in the hearts of those who trust in you. So, Lord, we pray that we would not compete with you for your position on the throne of our hearts. We pray that we wouldn't try to go about life in such a way that, that we would essentially operate with with ignorance of what you want to do. Lord, the plans that you have for our lives are so much better and so much fuller than anything we could devise. We see limited pieces. We see just, just small specks of a variety of things that, that we think in our own mind is the whole story. And you see how everything is connected. You see the early seasons of our lives, and you know what the later seasons of our lives will look like, and you know what's best for us. And you tell us in your word that you're working all things together for the good of those who love you. So, Lord, we pray that we would trust that your will is good. And we pray that we would stop fighting you when you seek to ultimately accomplish your great, great will in our lives Lord, we're just so thankful for the fact that you love us. We're grateful that during this time of year that we can surround ourselves with some reminders of what you came to this earth to accomplish, and we pray that you give great encouragement to our hearts as we meditate on these things today and, and in the coming week. Lord, there's a lot of ways that we could be reminded of these truths this week, and we pray that we would embrace each of them. And again, Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for the fact that in you we find the peace and the rest that we crave. You are the one who ultimately lifts the burdens that we've been trying to carry on our own, and we're grateful that we can give those things over to you. And so, Lord, right now as we, as we finish up our time of worship together, I just pray and just invite my brothers and sisters here in this room and those listening to this in other ways to join together with me in just taking whatever burdens are on our hearts and just handing them over to you, Lord. Lord, in just silent prayer, we, we pray, Lord, that we would just give these burdens over to you, that you'd take these burdens from us, emotional burdens, spiritual burdens, 
physical burdens, different things that we've been trying to carry around that we're kidding ourselves if we think we have the strength to carry them in our own power. You tell us to give these things over to you. So Lord, we're giving these things over to you now in prayer. We give this over to you in, in just a moment of silent prayer right now. And Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you hear us when we pray and that your word is true and that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So thank you, Lord, for taking the heavy things from us. And thank you for being our comfort. We praise you for all of these things and we thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.